so be clear, so, so to be clear here, Jonathan is not David's brother. He's a friend. And Saul is Jonathan's dad, okay? So this is definitely choosing a love higher than blood. This is choosing a relationship, a connection, an affinity higher than blood and DNA, okay? So this is risky love here. This is radical love here. And this is the kind of love that God wants us all to have. And Jonathan displays it here. And it literally saves David's life. And so on the question of what does it really mean to love someone, who is really our family, this story is an exactly an epitome of that story. That to love those who we don't have a connection with through blood requires something radical. So what I want to get into first is a little, a little information. So this festival that they were at, where all this drama broke out, it was called the New Moon Festival. And so the question is, why were they even there? And, and why was Saul wanting David to be there so much? So Genesis chapter 1, 14 says, Then God said, I'm going way back to Genesis, <laughs> Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. So this is one of the first things in the Bible, Genesis 1. And what I'm saying here is that the Jews were different from us. Their calendar, their seasons, how they orientated their whole life was based upon the lights in the sky. So we're, basically they're talking about the constellations, but mostly the moon and the sun and the seasons. And so it, it, for us, no matter what happens today and tomorrow, October is going to happen tomorrow, right? We're going to have a new month tomorrow. We're going to move into fall and then winter and then spring and then yada yada. But for the Jews, they were dependent on these changes of the seasons by creation. Creation told them when it was time to move forward and when it was time to celebrate, when it was time to be thankful. They were dependent upon God for their direction in life. And so this celebration, the new moon festival, happened at the new moon. And the new moon happened at the beginning of a new month for the Jews. And so in a way of kind of giving first fruit, when a new month happened, they celebrated. They thanked God and they sacrificed uh, food and they ate food. And they did it here in this time. And now in this time, while they're celebrating, since the season has changed and it's a new month and they're giving God their thanks and they're showing God that we trust you, David isn't there. And Saul is using this time that's supposed to be dedicated to be thankful as a time to plot his own selfish ambition. So this is the irony here, is that in the time needed that God, that is needed and reminded and instituted by the Jews to be thankful to God, Saul is doing the exact opposite. So the Bible is so awesome. Like it's not just 
a chronological uh, story. It is really good writing here, and we need to see that. Now, what also is happening here, too, is the Lunar Moon Festival was actually never a command to happen. Moses had a lot of commands. He commanded the Passover. He commanded the, the Feast of, of Booths. He commanded a lot of things for the Jews to do to remember that God is good. But this festival was never in a command. But it was so good, and it seemed right, and it helped to a good cause. So Jews did it, and God didn't say not to do it. So actually, David not being here wasn't wrong either. He wasn't disobeying God for not going. So once again, Saul is just really doing like the wrong thing. <laughs> he's wrapped up in himself, and he's, he's requiring David to do something that he shouldn't even have to do, all because of selfishness. Now with that said, with all of this that Saul is doing, what God really led me to, to think about today and preach on is madness. It just really looks like Saul is obsessed and he's, he's, he's gone crazy. He's just so focused in himself that he's like not even aware of what he should be doing. And he's even threatening to kill his own, his own blood uh, son just because of another person totally wrecking his life in his mind. First uh, Samuel chapter 20, verse 30 to 33. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. So this is basically insanity to me. He's, he's accusing his son of dishonoring his mother while he curses his mother. <laughs> he accuses his son of dethroning his heir, Jonathan, while he throws a spear at his son. <laughs> you see the craziness there? He's literally undoing himself. Saul is mad. Saul wants Jonathan to do something that's just crazy. And what I got from that is basically, why is Saul prone to madness? Why is he doing things that is just ridiculous? 1 Samuel 18, verse 10 through 11, here's what happened. This is, this is a, a couple of uh, chapters ago, and this is when Saul is just really consumed with himself. He's running from God. He's seeking his own will. He's opposing God. Here's what God does. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman, like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped 
him twice. So Saul likes throwing spears at people, doesn't he, um, when he's angry. He has a spear problem. Um, Saul is literally mad. And what's interesting is it's actually God that's bringing about the madness. God is making Saul mad. God is making Saul do crazy things. Saul is being brought to insanity by God. So what does insanity look like? We know that famous quote by someone, uh, I think Abraham Lincoln said it, (laughs) is that insanity is doing the same thing but expecting different results, right? So Saul is expecting to constantly run from, from God and seek his own will, but he isn't getting any good results. So I have a story for myself. Um, back in 2011, I was 100 pounds bigger than I am now. I, had, I was a couple of years removed from playing football. And in football and even in college, you worked out a whole lot. So I was used to burning like 6,000 calories a day. So I would eat whatever I wanted. And uh, even at breakfast, I would eat like a waffle with like ice cream on it. And every, I was just, I was insane. No, no. Um, because I knew that I would burn it off later. I would burn it off later. Well, over the years, uh, I would just gain more and more weight. And I was a campus minister. I took a call to be a campus minister at NIU uh, University in DeKalb. And there was this place called Jenna's. It was a hot wings place. And I was single, and I didn't want to cook, and I would hit that place up, like, all the time, all right? And I'm talking, like, once a week, then two times, three times, even four times a week, I'd go there and get wings. And I was like, why not? Well, I was also working out. I was also trying to not be out of shape, and I was constantly undoing myself. But I didn't think, I didn't think about it. It was, it was really just dumb. It was stupid behavior. Well, one day, I'll never forget this. The owner, I knew the, pretty well. I was there a lot, so I knew the owner. <laughs> he was there, and he was taking my order. And as I ordered my typical, like, special, I think it was spicy lemon pepper wings, you know, with french fries. He said, you know, buddy. He was a Middle Eastern guy. He had a thick guy. He said, you know, buddy, we do have healthy options. I was like, what? No, you ain't. <laughs> I'm a customer. We have, and he started listening. We have fruits, we have vegetables, we have salad. You can put chicken on the salad. I remember to this day, he like, so you can do other things. And first of all, it's like, I'm a customer. I'm one of your best customers. This is bold. This is crazy for you to, to confront me like this. But he did and started a, a, a wake-up for me. It started a transformation for me. It started me really thinking about what are the things that I'm doing that are hurting myself, that are undoing the other things that I'm trying to do to help me. And I started working out more, started dieting more, started cooking at home, and I lost 100 pounds, and I'm still going. It's a good story, yeah. Um, 
We need someone to be bold, to take us out of our insanity. We need someone to step in and disrupt us. Because of our natural sin, we will keep doing things to hurt ourselves unless someone steps in for us. Ironically, we went back like three years ago to visit a friend, and that place has been shut down. So I don't know. Maybe he did that way too many times. But Genesis is no more. But God uses it for me. So what about us? What are some things going on in our life that we repeatedly do that really are just self-destructive? What crazy activities do we do? And what is the salvation that God is bringing us? What is the Jonathan that God is trying to bring us? You see, the thing about Jonathan is that he is definitely the Christ in the story. We can't free ourselves from the things that we do that hurt us. But God brings someone that helps us. David could not get out of the oppression or the insanity or the obsession of Saul. He needed a help, a helper. He needed someone to free him. He needed a risky lover. Someone that's willing to stand there for us and help us when we can't help ourselves. Someone is willing to risk their life for us because we can't do it ourselves. Who is that for you? Who is that person that you go to, that you rely on, that's going to speak to you, that's going to help you get through the things that you can't get through yourself? And how do you feel about that person? Do you love them? Or do you constantly run away from them? Do you embrace them or do you constantly argue and fight against them? Do you see them as your enemy or do you see them as one of your closest friends? Because that person may be definitely one of the best friends you have. So I want to go back, though, to a question. We know that we do things that hurt ourselves, unintentionally or intentionally. And we don't understand fully what that is. Only God knows. But in the case of Saul with God, why would God torment Saul to the point of madness? Why would he do that? If, why would God bring evil if God is good? Why does he make, why does he allow bad things like this to happen? Is God evil? If he lets someone be tormented so much to where they do irrational things. We know the answer is no, right? I mean, God's not evil, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is that God knows that the only way a lot of times to get us to be at a desperate place 
to where we only see him as the option. That we got to be put in the bottom. We got to go through some hard things. That because of our stubbornness, actually the difficulties in our life are used to bring about our salvation. That actually, like with that friend that, that tells us the hard things, that's what God is like. He tells us the hard things. He brings about the difficult things in hopes that we repent. That we say uncle and we believe. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6 through 7 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So we're, we're born into this world with conditions we don't understand. Some of us are born with one leg, or we're born with a fully functional body, but our pride is unbreakable. And what I've seen in my own life and people that I, I, I know is a lot of times, no matter what the issue is or the condition is, only thing God cares about is that we see that he is the one that will get us through it. He will get us through it with help, with counsel, with science, with whatever. But do we believe that he is the Lord? And the only way that he will, that I have seen in myself a lot of times with the pride that I have that will allow me to submit to God is he brings really hard circumstances. And there's like a nexus point. It's like a point where I go through a lot and it can, it can make me just turn away from God and I get more and more angry and I do more and more dumb things. I start believing those, those dumb things. That's actually not me. It's, it's someone else or it's always someone else. That I start doing crazy things. Or he says... I repent. I instead repent. And I say, I'm fallen, and I just need you. I'm not going to be fixed tomorrow, but I just know I need you. Get me through. And I don't think that's what Saul was willing to do. And so it continued to draw him into an obsession. There's other people in the Bible had the same thing. They were drawn because of their pride to choose God or choose themselves. And instead of choosing themselves, their method, they chose God. Nebuchadnezzar was an example. Daniel chapter 4, 33. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagles feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. After this time he passed, had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, first person, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. 
And so God drove one of the most powerful kings in the history of the planet to madness. Not to make him stay mad. Not to make him feel like he can't deal with it himself, so I'm going to continue to condemn myself. We can't save ourselves. We're not our own savior, right? But in hopes that he would do what he did, he looked to God and say, I'm jacked up. I thought I was the center of it all. I'm not. But you are. So help me through my madness every day. That's all that God wants. And the highest powerful king in the world did that. Paul knew he was crazy too. And in the craziness of trying to be good and perfect, but he can't be, and there's not a solution for it. And he's a Pharisee, and he has all these laws and all these rules, but he can't live up to them. Or he's trying to be a good mother, or trying to be a good American, or whatever. He turned to God. Romans 7, 21 to 25, a famous verse. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You see, this is not about picking what you do and deciding is this my fault or if it's God's fault or, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't ask to be this way. So why should I be required to go through this? It's not about that. It's not about us. It's just about Paul saying that I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus through whatever he calls so it's Jesus through whatever, but I believe that Jesus will lead me and help me. So question, think about our life. Think about the things that you repeatedly do, that you've made goals and solutions and they're not working out. How frustrated that might make you. Maybe you've given up a lot of times. Maybe you got to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm just, I'm done. Maybe I'm done with believing in, in, in Jesus because he hasn't done the thing that I thought he should do for me the way I wanted it to happen. And I'm still stuck here in this thing. And there's this David that's really messing me up, so I need to <laughs> spare him. Think of the thing that is frustrating you. In that thing, do you believe that you need Jesus? For that thing? Do you believe in the insanity and that you need Jesus? 
Who believes that they need Jesus to overcome their craziness? Amen. You're not, you're not weak for saying that. That's actually very strong to say that we need Jesus. David knew that he needed a Jesus to free him from craziness. And he called upon his friend, Jonathan. Jesus knows that we need him to free us from the craziness out there and our own craziness. And he asks us to call upon him every day. And that's what I call crazy love. So what I got from the story is that even though Jonathan is an awesome friend, he risks his life to save his friend from his father, God calls us to be Jonathan's too. He calls us to be risky lovers for ourselves, but also for other people, for those that we are called to love. Our church family, the ones we're born into, he calls us to do the thing that the world will think is crazy. So it flips. See, either way, you're going to be crazy. <laughs> it's okay. Either we're continuously living in sin, and so it continuously reveals to us our craziness that we need help, we're helpless and we need salvation from, or we are walking with Jesus and the world thinks we're crazy for doing that. Better to be crazy for Christ. And so what I get from this story is that God is saying, be the Jonathan. Who are the people in our lives that we know need crazy love? They need someone to stand there, stand for, stand with us. They need someone to stand for, stand with them to help them through the things that they repeatedly do. The guy that told me, stop eating those wings, you're killing yourself. <laughs> that owned the business, that needed business. We need that. That's the church. That's the church. That's what Jesus died to create. He created crazy lovers. People are willing to do crazy things that shows the world that there's something different about these Christians. Something different about their God. And I, I need that. I need someone to help me out. Because I'm trying to do it myself. And I can't do it. That's what God wants. The humble spirit to repent, to believe in the Jonathan, the Jesus that came and saved us, and to be that, to pay it forward, to be that risky lover to someone else. So can we be a risky, loving church? Yeah? Can we be a risky, loving church? Yes, we can, because Jesus is in us. Amen? Amen? In conclusion here, Matthew 12, 48 through 50, 
Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Jonathan understood that the kingdom of God was more powerful than his father or being king. He understood that the love that, he, he did, that, that is far bigger than blood is more powerful than trying to be king of another country or to be in control of your own problems or to obey his dad. And Jesus understands that the way to be a radical lover is to embrace his radical love for us. And that if people see that love, they will be transformed. We'll still be crazy, but we'll also be crazy lovers. Amen? Amen. So I pray that we become a crazy church. We are already. I've been crazy loved, by the way, by so many of you here. So we already are that. So, you know, I pray that we continue to be that. Because there are people out there who need the love of Christ. And he asks us to be that Jonathan to them. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we don't understand the full weight and condition of the sin that we are born into, the sin that we do, and the crazy things that it has us do. And we know that you created us to be good. And we know that very few of us intentionally desire to do harmful or bad things. But we know that sin still draws us. And that we believe in faith that the only solution is Jesus. It's not Jesus and. It's not this and then Jesus. It's Jesus and then Jesus through whatever. That you on the cross that day gave us an invitation to break free from what we can never free ourselves from. And then you asked us to be family to others by loving riskily in the same way. May we rest in you. May we embrace you. May we know that your love is beautiful. And may we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that every day, if we choose your, you, that is the first step. That is the full step towards being free ourselves every day and helping free others from the sin that's in, that we are conquering in Christ. May we feel the full beauty of your salvation today and may it compel us to love. And we pray all these things. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your awesome, freeing, sobering love that you so freely give every day. Amen.